Friedman. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Marco. Marco helps companies connect their people uh, in a time when it's more difficult to do that through experiences, intentional experiences that could be virtually in person through multi-day offsites. And we're building products to support employee connection. And here we have uh, Arthur Woods, who we I've met a couple of times now. But Arthur, you, how, how are you doing on this Friday afternoon? Good, Simon. This is awesome. It's great to be here. Great to hang out with you. And uh, I mean, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Well, let, let's start with like how you came in here. And yeah. apparently you're a popular guy because you know <laughs> a couple of folks here. So for context, uh, my friend Ben, this is his apartment slash podcast studio. Yep. I walk in with Arthur and he's like, how do I get into the apartment? You happen to know, I guess, both of the folks here. So maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, future of podcasting uh, is <laughs> yeah. live, work, cold plunge. I'm learning exactly, now. Exactly. Yeah. This is. It's like do everything in one place. I'm. I'm loving it. The versatility of a space. Yes. But um, I think today we were reminded, and this is, this is a, a, you know testament to you know Marco's mission. But I think we're reminded that the entrepreneurial community is very small. Yes. Uh, and and tight. so be nice to everyone. <laughs> yeah, be nice to everyone because you never know where you show up and you might be reporting recording a podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you don't want to get kicked out. Uh, but yeah, we have, we, we learned, uh, upon arrival that we have, we have a bunch of mutual friends and, uh, Lisa, who's here, you know, recording a bad bitch empire podcast yes. and Ben, of course, who yeah. owns the place. So yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is cool. So I think, uh, I was doing a little research this morning and I think the, the theme of this episode, well, generally we are trying to interview people who are turning companies into communities, which mm -hmm. I think, um, I'm, I'm personally passionate about. And I learned that you're, I think, passionate about it in a number of ways. So I think uh, the podcast title perhaps will be How to Be a Superhero at Work. Love that. Because uh, I was that. just listening to this fantastic TED Talk um, that you did. But perhaps uh, if you give you know a bit of background about yourself, then I'm going to dive into a couple of different kind of areas. But sure, sure. Well, I'll keep it. I'll keep it brief. Uh, you know, I grew up in a single parent home in Northern California, very conservative evangelical community. Um, I came out halfway through college, um, had kind of an identity crisis, but, you know, discovered firsthand that being part of a community where you feel a sense of belonging is key to who I am, you know, yeah. and in, in many cases in my life, uh, I didn't didn't feel that sense of belonging. Um, I, I didn't flock to investment banking and, uh, and consulting where a lot of my my peers were going, but I, I started my first company in college. Um, and I ended up launching a, um, a global nonprofit called Out in Tech, which became one of the largest LGBT communities in technology. And then for the last 10 years, built two um, enterprise SaaS uh, HR companies, um, one called Imperative, which is a peer-to-peer -peer coaching software, and then another called Matheson, which is a DEI analytics platform. And I've always been of the mind, and I think you and I can geek out a lot on this, that 100%. work has been broken for most people. Um, work is not a place where most people feel a sense of belonging. It's not a place where most people feel psychologically safe. It's not a place where most people are thriving, to be honest. And yeah. so I feel like for me, the the work that I've been doing um, has always been, you know, sort of with the mission of making work better for people. Yeah. This is something I think we really share. I I, I agree. Uh, well, could you talk a little bit about in, in the TED Talk you talked about when you're a kid, you're kind of bright eyed and you, I think you said you want to be a superhero, right? And that yeah. I think changes once you start looking at the daunting kind of perhaps professional trajectory. Can you say a little bit about that that notion? Yeah. So if we think about like when we're all kids, one of the beautiful things is uh, we don't typically, you know, wake up every day thinking about, you know, sort of scarcity, fear, you know, responsibilities. We we sort of have these open dreams of what we can become. Yeah. Um, it, we're, it's very expansive. It's very generative. You know, we don't, we don't, you know, you, you ask a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, um, you know, you hear the, the, you know, you hear the, the widest range of things. And um, the moment we start to enter college and enter adulthood, 
I think a lot of those dreams kind of get, you know, compressed and, yeah. um, and scarcity and, and judgment and, you know, sort of responsibility sort of weigh on folks. And I think a lot of folks start to operate from a, a point of fear and not a point of, of possibility, you know? Yeah. And I think work in many cases represents that, you know, yeah. work the way it's been designed has not often brought out the best in people. It hasn't yeah. been optimized for creativity. It hasn't been optimized for, you know, human flourishing. It's been optimized largely for getting the most out of people and, and inherently not trusting them. If you, yeah. if you really think about it, you know, the way that we've defined most of the metrics in work, it's been inherently from this position of, you know, our people are likely not working. So we need to make sure they are, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One, uh, I'm probably, I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of Ikigai. Yes, but, of course. Of uh, course. Yeah. I actually used that kind of some of your words in a conversation that I was having with uh, a coworker today. And I was talking about kind of what are your passions and what are your kind of superpowers or mm -hmm. perhaps what do you want to be your superpowers? And I guess just quickly, uh, Ikigai is, uh, I guess the, it's the Venn diagram of what you're good at. Um, what the what the world needs, um, what you can get paid for, and then what what's the other one? What brings you joy? What brings you yeah, joy, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think it's really interesting to think about. And your first uh, startup, which remind me of the name of the uh, imperative, imperative. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. could you talk a little bit about the the genesis of that? And I think there's the story around kind of volunteering, perhaps gave people the most joy in their job. And how did yeah. you, how did they, how did they bring that? five hours per week into more or five hours per month into their, into their life. Maybe share that story a bit. Yeah. So I, I left Google and, uh, started a company and, and ended up getting introduced to my, my future co-founder of, of this company imperative. And, um, Aaron Hurst was the founder of a, an organization called the Taproot Foundation okay. and Taproot really kind of pioneered the pro bono service movement. So what they realized was, you know, you're a lawyer, you have amazing skills that the nonprofit and social um, impact community could use. Why don't you take those skills and apply them? Don't just go and paint a, a school, maybe apply your actual skill sets to yeah. the, the professional services that a lot of organizations need. And they, they created this model. And it probably is no surprise, the lawyers and many professionals that donated their time and their skills to the community got so much more purpose from that work than they did their paycheck jobs. Yeah. So people would go and, you know, just put hours and hours, thousands of hours into their pro bono work and they'd say, wow, I wish all work could feel like this. Yeah. And what Aaron really brilliantly realized and ended up writing a book, you know, around was this idea that work is lacking purpose. And, yeah. you know, many people do flock to pro bono and uh, things outside of work to find their sense of purpose. And his vision, and I think our vision together was how can, we make all work feel like pro bono work. You know, you shouldn't have to leave your paycheck job to experience that sense of purpose. Yeah, we're doing an exec retreat next week. I'm gonna, if you're down, invite you to come hang out with us. Yeah, and, of course, we can of do course. A session. Yeah, yeah. So th this isn't chronological order, but I mean, just to quickly, personally, I worked in consulting, don't hold it against me. And then no, I, not at all. <laughs> and then I worked in finance and I was working at SoftBank in, in this investing job that I ended up not finding a ton of purpose in and finding mm -hmm. more interest in uh, entrepreneurship. Um, but I always love this concept around like, there's like work life balance and how do you meld those three because mm -hmm. you're so busy and challenging jobs. And it seems like you're passionate about this. And one of my old bosses, um, Jeff Hausenbold, he's the CEO of Shutterfly and he was at SoftBank and he said, he talked about doing good while doing good. Mm. And this isn't chronological, but I know you were at Google and you worked on YouTube education because you mm -hmm. were passionate about that. Mm -hmm. Um, why, why were you passionate about kind of education? Well, I mean, going back to this like sense of purpose, I got to Google um, and I knew Google as a place where, you know, 
it's sort of the happiest place on earth for work, right? Yeah. That was that was my that was one of the reasons I went. I was I had been an entrepreneur. I said, if I'm gonna go get a, a corporate job, it's gotta be at a place like Google. And honestly, Simon, I got there and six months in, I just I I wasn't feeling a sense of purpose. The, yeah. you know, the the Willy Wonka bikes, the um the lunches and the, you know, the wellness uh, you know, facilities all kind of, you know, wore off. And I realized that the nature of the work that I'm doing isn't fulfilling to me. Yeah. Um, and so what I did, and actually I sat down with a mentor and I'll never forget this story. He, he sat, he sat me down and he said, you know, as an entrepreneur, you inherently find purpose in your work because you're building, you know, you're building what you're doing. Your companies yeah. are an expression of your values Yeah. in work. You can be an entrepreneur. You have the mindset of an entrepreneur wherever you are, even if you're in a big corporation. So yeah. he said, go, go find purpose as, as an entrepreneur, bring that mindset to the work that you're doing. And it, a light bulb went off and I realized you know, Google's a, a big place. There's a lot going on. Go seek out the things that are, are valuable for the company. It's the Igikai model. You know, yeah, yeah. what can I get paid for? Where can I derive joy and meaning? And, you know, what, what does the world need? Um, and so I ended up volunteering, moonlighting literally at YouTube on yeah. nights and weekends. Um, there, was a, there was one person who was doing educational work and I became her second hand. And we built out, you know, a team together and ended up, it became a department. Yeah. And our whole you know, goal was to democratize YouTube's educational content for everyone in the world. Yeah. Unblock YouTube's educational content in schools so kids can learn and not just, you know, not just only watch cat videos yeah. when they're in school. <laughs> um, and, it, and, you know, it was a really great, you know, it was a great reminder for me that as entrepreneurs, we do bring that mindset wherever we are. You know, we might yeah. be working in the government, we might be working in a corporation. I, I, I imagine at Bain and, and at SoftBank, you brought an entrepreneurial spirit to the work yeah. that you did, right? Yeah, I certainly tried. And there, I think good organizations actually allow you to do that, yes. which is what you just expressed about Google. Because what I found in certain jobs, um, for example, SoftBank, I was, I was very interested in like kind of creating new, perhaps working with companies to create new verticals or being mm -hmm. more entrepreneurial. And I figured what the heck I could actually go do that uh, full time. But I think the best organizations allow you to, you don't have to be a founder. You can be, you can actually express creativity in different ways that's actually net good for the the company um on the on the subject of net good a lot of this concept of doing good while doing good a lot of i think what you've done and we'll talk about matheson is in a second is around the business value i think you can create mm -hmm. by by ex allowing for that expression do you mm. think it's possible to find someone a lot of them to bring their whole self to work or whatever the the phrase is and actually have that good for the economics of, of a company i i totally believe so and i think i'm like we're pre I'm preaching to the choir here, but I, I think that that's the pathway to achieving business success today. Um, yeah. A lot of organizations have, I think, taken advantage of, of their people, you know, have not necessarily focused on the, the well-being and, and purpose of their workforce. And they've sort of just seen that the relationship with their people as transactional. I think the new era that we're entering of work is, you know, you will create the greatest loyalty, the, the greatest output, um, and... Uh, you know, I think long-term relationship with your people, if you're investing in their well-being yeah. and you're enabling them to all have a sense of ownership in their work every day. Yeah. Um, we know that the command and control fear-based model for work is, is broken and it's not, it's not, it's not going to last, you know? Yeah. How do you think about that in the, that in the context of, uh, you know, 80% of companies are now remote or hybrid. So it's yeah. harder to have just natural connections and what you're describing is like feeling the sense of belonging, right. Mm -hmm. at a company, you know, maybe speak a little bit to the challenges that perhaps you've seen now yeah. in this more distributed world around like creating community. 
Well, you know, it's it's really interesting. I mean, so the pandemic thrust us into a a new mode of work that I, I think many many people didn't believe was possible. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think we, if you know, you and I sat down with most leaders three years ago, and we were have told them that hey, you know, your workforce, the majority of your workforce, will be remote and not seeing each other, and and you'll onboard new folks, and they won't even meet their colleagues. It'd be from in the person. sci-fi. <laughs> people would have said you're absolutely crazy. There's no way that'll ever happen. And then, of course, it did. Um, I think what what happened, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this. Yeah. Um, we, I think what happened is we created an extraordinary accessibility around work when we shifted to remote. Yeah. Um, it made it so folks could literally have families at home, care for their pets, not have to commute. But what I think it also did is it left left us transacting much more than transforming. Yeah. Um, and I and I see this firsthand. You know, back to back calls. We've crammed way more you know, meetings into a day. Um, we're entering and leaving. We're not necessarily focused on building rapport. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's really difficult to build any sort of deep level of trust, especially among leaders, um, when we're operating with such high velocity of meetings and yeah. they're 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 all about just getting stuff done and not actually building, you know, building community. Yeah. So I think it speaks to a, like a need for intentionality. Yeah. Um, that we have to acknowledge that there's a need there we have to like really build it into the way that we interact and it it speaks to the need for us to have shared experiences yeah that aren't necessarily just focused on getting work done i mean my view on this is there so i would i would uh reference a book called uh the infinite game who simon Sinek yeah, wrote yeah, this of book, course. but it was based on a book from the 1960s and um i talk about this uh quite a bit but he talks about um Basically, uh, well, an infinite game would be like we want to create a company that kind of helps connects everyone, connects mm -hmm. every network. A finite game would be like, hey, we got to hit this next quarter's goals in order to raise our next round, mm -hmm. which which still exists. They, those can coexist, but often, actually, you might be better suited to 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 actually achieve those short term goals if you have an infinite mindset. Mm -hmm. And there's an anecdote where he talks about this guy who worked for Shell and he came into the company, Shell's an oil and gas company. Yep. They got, and he was a, the head of this like rig and I'm going to probably not tell this story perfectly, but he made all the team do these like team building exercise and they got, these are kind of Texan, not necessarily gr great at emoting folks. Yep. And they built a lot of trust and the biggest kind of metric that they are graded on is uh, rig time, uh, uptime of rigs. Mm -hmm. And they had the highest global uptime of rigs. Wow. Because they invested in creating trust and vulnerability. I believe which it. Which sound, it sounds woo-woo. It sounds like, why would you do this? From a business perspective, you could be super efficient. Yeah. And I think there's just trade off. Every, there's just two sides to every coin. Yeah. Um, is what we've seen. And the last thing I would say is like, we see this with our own company, right? Yeah. Our mission is to help connect folks. We're in New York, San Francisco, LA, Miami, Seattle, Atlanta, Boston, Mexico, yeah. Brazil, and the Philippines. And we struggle a lot with this because mm. we are a high, you know, growing high growth startup, a lot of challenges. And so for us, it's important to do this stuff, and we're by no means perfect at it. So I completely empathize with this. Uh, and I would say a lot of, we talk to people, leaders all the time. Yeah. Everyone is trying to figure it out. Everyone is. Yeah. The great <laughs> thing is that you know there's a need there, and yeah. the nature of what you deliver, it speaks to that need. I, I, I have a lot of faith in the leaders that say it's a priority. You know, yeah. the, the ones I worry about are the ones who say, I don't, I don't know why. Let, let's just have our people get back to work. I don't know why we need to build any sort of safety. By the way, that that to me is one of the one of the real wins of the the DEIB work yeah. in the last three or four years is that yeah. the the vernacular, you know, sort of the concept of of psychological safety has really like come into For our sure. vernacular. We're much more aware of the need for safety 
fact that like an employee could have come from a fear-based environment previously and inherently might not raise their hand because they were shot down in their last organization for doing so. So what yeah. are the experiences we're going to create for our people that invite that? Yeah. Because as you know, that's, that's the way that we do our best work and it's the way that we, we create. Well, that's the, that's the somewhat, um, that's what you need to prove because people are now, especially in this economic environment, they're like, well, like what's the ROI? Yeah. And the ROI actually could be immediate because then someone might not leave yes. their job that's talented yeah. and, and so forth. But sometimes the ROI is harder to prove because mm -hmm. you're like, hey, you know, those that person that you might be taking a day off work to to kind of like get to know your coworkers. Right. But that's going to be super important because, for example, at Bain, I have people that I've been in weddings of people that have invested in my company and vice versa. Yeah. And that was all created there on the subject of uh, DEIB, though, perhaps w share a little bit. What is Matheson? Um, yeah. 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 So we, we founded Matheson about four years ago now, um, and really before the DEIB movement took off. Um, yeah. It was an interesting time because we had con conceived it. Um, then the pandemic hit, and then George Floyd murder occurred. Yeah. It was, so there were, it was a bit of a roller coaster. But we created a, a platform to help organizations measure their, their, the state of their DEIB efforts. Um, and we, we, one of the things we found is that everyone had a big vision for what they wanted to achieve with DEI. Yeah. They had a lot of difficulty quantifying it. And most importantly, they had a lot of difficulty like measuring progress against it. Yeah. So, you know, 74% of organizations don't set diversity goals. Really? Which I, I was shocked to, to read. You know, yeah. only one in four basically sets diversity goals today. So we created a platform basically to systematize and automate a lot of the manual functions of yeah. tracking your current state of diversity, tracking your programs, policies, setting goals, um, basically democratizing those goals to your organization and then reporting out on progress. Yeah. And uh, worked with a couple hundred organizations over the course of the last few years to help them really sort of make make strides. And, it, and many of them, by the way, realized how far behind they were yeah. um, when you know the, the movement really started taking off. Sadly, um, the DEI work, I think, has hit some serious headwinds this yeah. last year. Um, there's been a record number of layoffs of DEI leaders. Um, I think the work is still inherently misunderstood in many cases. Um, so, you know, I think the the goal is to continue fighting the good fight and helping organizations make make real progress there. But it's it's a it's it's a it's a body of work that I think is still really emerging. Yeah, it's interesting coming from <clears throat> in past careers. A lot of workplaces I've worked in have been kind of homogenous not only just objectively homogenous, but in terms of the types of work people do. Mm -hmm. And now I'm in a company where people do a lot of different things and they're from different backgrounds. And I think what you realize is there's a lot of business value created through diversity of, of people and thought, Yeah, which I think is, and also what you said is like quantifying it through software. It's like, there's actually solutions that can empower people to make better decisions, which is- I agree, cool. I agree. What I think we're gonna see now is that there's a bifurcation of the, the, the co companies and organizations that are really committed to this work and the ones that aren't. Yeah. Um, and I think the ones that are committed, by the way, are, are of the same ilk of the folks that say these transformational uh, shared experiences are critical to our success. They're yeah. the Marco, you know, customers, honestly. Yeah. Well, you hey, know. I'm not going to fault you for the, for the pitch yet. No, but it's but I think, you know, I, I do think that we're, we're entering this this moment where, you know, there's a bit of a, a, a divergence of, of mindset. Um, yeah. And, you know, you have leaders that I, that I think even despite, you know, challenging economic times, truly believe their people are the greatest resource and asset they have. Um, they need to, that their companies need to be diverse, inclusive, psychologically safe, and they need to create community as, as, uh, as a pathway to achieving success. Yeah. And those are the folks I think 
you know, either of us speaking to, it's kind of the folks we want to be working with. Yeah, you know? it's interesting because one of our goals next year is <clears throat> from a software perspective, how do we <clears throat> create, excuse me, analytics and kind of quantify <clears throat> the level of connection? Because mm. I think if you told any business leader, hey, your, your employees are super, super disconnected mm. and that could be between teams, that could be within your company, that could be between yourself and your customer. Yeah. They would be like, well, that's not good, right? And so I think there's a lot, I could probably, we could learn from you at Marco around like, well, how do you go about creating a system and product that quantifies uh, that stuff? There might be a Marco index, which is the, yeah. you know, <clears throat> sort of the new belonging measure. I mean, the old engagement survey, I think is so antiquated and yeah. it's inherently still rooted in this idea that people, people inherently don't like work and yeah. uh, aren't working. Therefore, we need to measure their engagement as to whether they're working, giving, giving discretionary effort to their work. So we know we need to like sunset that whole approach and maybe there's a new a new model out there you know that inherently speaks to like the human human spirit in work you yeah. know and flourishing and and the, like a more nuanced sense of belonging that you yeah. guys really help enable through your platform well i think you know? there's i mean like one thing about bain is everything was done very intentionally so yeah. when i first got to bain they have associate consultant training that's always in cape cod and i still remember i've like made tons of relationships that i still maintain through this one experience, but mm. they had these, they had constructs around it. This is by the way, in a remote, before remote work was a thing. I imagine yeah. the need for that is certainly amplified. And I also think one point on frequency, which is like mm. I, culture amp and lot, those are great companies, but you might only do a very intense survey once a year or right. maybe once a quarter. Yeah. Whereas now people are working more and harder. So yeah. it's hard to get a sense for how people are feeling, especially cause you can't see them. Right. <laughs> Things can change in a week. They can change in a month. They, we definitely know they change in a quarter. Yeah. So you're right. If we're not like getting a real time pulse on these things, we could have we could have major, major blind spots um, and not and, and, and not learn about them and wait until way too late. Until someone until one of your key folks leaves. Is, yeah. Exactly. Or, or there's a, or there's such an, an issue of, you know, a, a, a team leader or, you know, an issue within the organization where like a critical decision is missed because someone yeah. didn't feel safe or wasn't wasn't engaged. You know? Yeah, hundred percent. So, what are you up to? What are you up to now, other than hanging out in this? Yeah, well, I mean, look, look, this is great. So, I um, in Exe, my last company, I'm I'm uh, actually a partner at an executive search firm that yeah. helps startups build leadership teams called Plenty. So, yep. we're a team of about eighteen people, um, run by three X operators. Yep, and uh, it's been really fun because we're, you know, we're in the startup ecosystem. Um, I like to say we have a lot of the joy and none of the responsibility of helping build startups. I mean, we having been operators for many years, like we know, yeah, we, yeah, you know, you know, the drill, you know, the drill. I think it's the most gratifying thing in the world. And, um, we get to be there, you know, we've now helped over 140 companies keep, make key hires on their leadership teams. And, you know, they're all venture back, some of them super early. Yeah. Um, and the whole, our whole model, and I know you, you know, this better than anyone is that, you know, we believe that certain leaders at certain stages of companies can be transformational to the trajectory of the business. Yeah. And I've made so many mistakes not hiring the right people or hiring the right people way too late or yeah. not leaning on external partners to hire the right people, thinking I could just do it myself. Yeah. So the whole model is, you know, hey, let's find transformational companies, find the best possible people to help run them and hopefully help see a lot of these extraordinary ideas come to life and grow. Yeah. Know? Well, that's amazing. Uh, well, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, if you would kind of impart any last words of wisdom around kind of like how you build community at work or, or any, any, any last words around your overall kind of story arc and mission and how, that, uh, how that's translated to your view of the workplace perhaps. Yeah, so I, I think that, you know, I, I got to attend this Marco event, which by the way oh, yeah. is really special. And 
it was if it's anything like the the experiences that you guys create for your 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 clients um what i loved about it what i think really like speaks to to my approach with community building is to bring vulnerability to yeah. uh to the conversation i feel like we're all in a spirit of like how we transact the, the challenge i think with us transacting in these back-to-back zoom meetings all day is that we're we're typically not going deep yeah we typically are not being patient we're typically focusing on out out output and not you know anything of depth right yeah and you guys did a brilliant job of creating space yeah. um i think helping people slow down a little bit in new york by the way in the middle of one of the exactly. busiest neighborhoods yeah. in new york and there was a real depth, like depth of vulnerability there. Yeah. And I think when we, when we as leaders, I think this is like a call to action for everyone as either individual contributors or as leaders, when we show up in a vulnerable way, when we don't just like have a knee jerk response to like, how are you? Great. You know? Yeah. Um, when we, when we show up vulnerably, we, we actually signal to the people around us that they can be vulnerable yeah. and that it's safe and that you're you know, you're, you're real, yeah. you know? And I think I, I'm, I, I'm amazed by like the, the profound impact that like vulnerability can have in, in any relationship in any community that we're building. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. So we, I think even in events, people view them as transactional. Like we say experiences versus events because yeah. you could just say, okay, we got to do a holiday party. Cause like everyone does that and it's Christmas or you have to yeah. do an offsite cause we haven't, haven't seen each other, but we we're building out something called rituals where you're actually like do it with self-guided or with someone coming in mm. holding space and and creating moments where you can actually talk about something that's not work during our last team meeting we did the, this one ritual where you basically see it's called I forget it's called be seen or something like that mm. and you basically are looking at someone on zoom and you're drawing them with a sharpie without wow. picking up your pen and it's really funny but then you write a word that describes them wow and it was just this really warm kind of feeling that everyone had and then we carried on wow. with our meeting right that's really cool and that would probably be the most favorite part that people will remember of that meeting oh sure <laughs> like, absolutely absolutely and you know that that's a great example where this doesn't have to be about stopping work for an entire day like exactly that was a great example of a ritual that was accessible integrated something that was super memorable and i mean imagine just how that person felt by the end of yeah. all that Hopefully, I seen, mean, right? seen, yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, that's just that's a great, ex- and I think that's a, that's a good thing for leaders to know is that, you know, there are there are optimizations they can make, you know, to to the way that they're working that don't have to involve, you know, retreating from everything that they're doing. It's like it's about integrating this now into yeah. what they're doing. Well, on that note, this has been an incredible conversation. Suman, uh, thank you for having me. This is yeah. great. So, cheers! And All thanks right, for man. coming on yeah. the uh, the podcast. Yeah.